Our scripture for today comes from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to, the, to me, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over the, all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. May God bless this reading. Well, in three weeks, um, I think that this might be the perfect time to start a new pastorate because the lectionary, the schedule of scriptures every week so far has been about Jesus' early ministry. So last week we read the story of the wedding at Cana where Jesus shows up and makes sure the party has enough wine to keep going. And this week we hear this story of Jesus in the synagogue in Galilee. And I've got to tell you, one of the nice parts about reading these scriptures is that as a young pastor starting out in a new church, there's always this fear that you might say the wrong thing or rub someone the wrong way. But I, I, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario in which I do worse than Jesus here. Is there a hill tall enough in Lafayette that you all could march me to and try to hurl me off of? You know, I had this... It was a very casual conversation with someone at a church once where they told me, you know, I don't think Jesus has ever said anything controversial. There's nothing controversial about Jesus. And I, I thought at the moment, and I think now, I don't think they ever read this scripture. And frankly, I think they probably left a lot of the rest of scripture out. This is Jesus after all. Jesus who rubs people the wrong way so much that eventually they put him on a cross. Jesus and the gospel that he brings does not always sit well with us. It is not 
always the thing that is agreeable to us. And so in this passage in Luke, when Jesus walks into the synagogue, his reputation has preceded him. Part of me reads this and I wonder, are they saying, is, is it that they have heard the great works and they are amazed by him? Or is it the kind of thing where people are talking in the parking lot after service saying, have you heard this Jesus? But whatever the case is, whether it's rumors or praise, they know, they have heard of him. They've heard of the great wonders and indeed, when Jesus walks into the synagogue and reads from the scroll of Isaiah, the people sitting there in the synagogue would have known what he was talking about. Jesus reads the scroll and speaks of the year of the Lord's favor. And this year of the Lord's favor is a very particular thing. There is this thing in the Torah known as the Jubilee. And the Jubilee is this period of time which is prescribed in the Torah in which all of the debts of everybody in Israel would be forgiven. It is a time in which all of the slaves would be set free. And it is a time in which all of the land that is owned in Israel would be given back to the original inhabitants. The Jubilee is this command that is supposed to try to prevent the concentration of wealth in the hands of a few in Israel. And so the people listening to Jesus read this scroll would know what he was talking about. They would know the law of Moses and the Torah, and they would go, of course, the Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. But this idea throughout history, it builds up a little bit. You see, originally this is a law for Israel. But what, by the time of the prophets in the Old Testament, the year of the Lord's favor begins to take on a more cosmic nature. And the prophets begin writing about a time when God will come down and will judge not just Israel, but the world, the nations, and will set things right. It will be a cosmic judgment. And so Jesus stands up in the synagogue that day and he announces, he reads the scroll and announces that this day has come. The year of the Lord's favor is here. And people are really excited about it. Israel is ready for a cosmic savior to come back and rescue them from all that is wrong. The people of Israel are ready for God to come back and make things right. Of course, this isn't all Jesus says. And I think Jesus has a sense that this next part is going to make people angry. You see, as I said, the Jubilee was originally a promise for Israel. It was originally a promise for the people sitting in that synagogue. But the messianic promise that emerges says that no, this is not just a promise for Israel, but rather God's work is for all of the nations. It is a promise for all of God's creation. And indeed, rabbis at this time have spoken about this. Jesus doesn't create this idea. He is a part of this tradition that says that God will come back and judge among the nations. And so I'm not 100% sure why this sermon and this talking makes these people angry. But Jesus stands up to these people, these insiders, these synagogue goers, and explains that in the, in the past there have been prophets that have come 
and that they have gone for someone other than a member of Israel, Assyrian, perhaps, and that God's work has been as much for those people as it has been for Israel. And so I think Jesus pokes at something that we struggle with too. You see, we can look at this synagogue and say, well, they're angry at Jesus because they're intolerant. They want the promise to be for them and not for those other people. But I think we can place ourselves in that position. We have to ask ourselves where in our hearts we have put up our own walls. Those places where we expect to get preference. Where we think Jesus' gospel is on our side and is about us and not them. We have to ask where we are like those synagogue goers so long ago. But I want to come back just a little bit. Because what is surprising about Jesus' ministry and about the gospel that tells of of Jesus' life is just how often we misremember it. Because Jesus' ministry is for all people. For God so loved the world, the world, all of it, that he sent his only son. But how far that promise goes, how far Jesus' work and ministry goes, it can often be too far for us. Jesus says he loves all people. When God says salvation is for all people, we can get antsy. Well, sure, it's for all people, but probably not those people. And so when we tell the stories of Jesus, when we recall what he was about, what his ministry was about, we often will erase those places where Jesus' ministry was a challenge. We'll forget about those places where it rubbed people the wrong way, lest it might rub us the wrong way. And we forget that very early in Jesus' ministry, a synagogue wanted to run him off a cliff. What would you have to do? What could I possibly say up here? I'm not going to try. And so we make a mistake if we look at the synagogue and think, well, they were too close-minded or intolerant. Because the truth is, there are places in our lives where we fit the bill, where we are the same way, where we have become hard to our neighbors or those around us, where we have not allowed God's gospel to be truly fulfilled. And so central to Jesus' message is that those listening to it become uncomfortable with just how radical it is, with just how big it is. And whatever image we have of Jesus being non-controversial or not making people angry, it just doesn't exist. And there's a term for this. I don't I, The term is whitewashing. Whitewashing is this term where you take someone's legacy and you make it more acceptable for a broader audience. Maybe you forget about the rough edges or... It it can often be easier just to remember people without all that hard stuff. And this week, there's actually no better example about this than um, the person we celebrated this last week, Martin Luther King Jr. 
Uh, my entire life, and I was born in the mid-80s, so I, I missed some of the legacy. My entire life, Martin Luther King Day has been a holiday. We got it off of school every year. Uh, there have been roads named after him. Schools get the day off. He is one of the few people with a monument on the Washington Mall that wasn't ever a president. There might not be anybody more universally accepted. But last year, there was um, an opinion piece written in USA Today by a historian named James Cobb. And he pointed out a really startling fact. Uh, 50 years, which was last year after the death of Martin Luther King, his approval rating is above 90%. And when you hear that, I don't know if you feel this way, I think, who are those 10%? <laughs> but on the day he died, in 1968, 75% of the population of our country had an unfavorable view of him. 75%, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's absurd how big of a percentage that is. He is a quintessential member of American history, and we have forgotten that most of our country didn't like him. And, you know, if you go back and listen to his sermons and some of the things he said, it's not that hard to figure it out. Some of the things, if we, if we played some of his speeches today, many people would be angry. But the point remains with prophets, prophets are challenging. And over time, we forget that. We forget that Martin Luther King was challenging. We forget that Jesus was challenging. Wouldn't it be fascinating to go back and find the approval rating of Jesus? I, it wouldn't be very high. And part of the reason for this, I want to say, you know, the role of a prophet, and biblical prophets, modern day prophets, is to wake us from slumber. You see, we, we get complacent, used to the way things are. And prophets come and say, the way things are isn't good enough. They have to change. They come to our neighborhoods and they say things that our hearts have become too hard to notice. They disrupt our patterns, especially when those patterns have begun to produce rotten fruit, as Jesus will say later in the Gospels. And so often we just don't remember how scandalous these prophets were. And so this is the challenge for us today. When we are challenged by something, how do we respond? Do we retreat and say, no, that's not, that's not okay, or I don't believe that, I can't believe that? Or can we allow people's words or ideas to open us up to new realities? Because I promise you, we, I, am like those people gathered in that synagogue. There are ways in which I am sure that God's message is for me and not them. That I am sure that God's promise of the year of the Lord's favor is directed at us as opposed to those other people. The Lutheran pastor and writer, Nadia Boltz Weber, has this great quote from a book, book of hers. She is a, uh, let's say, irreverent, radical, orthodox Lutheran pastor. 
um, who's famous for being heavily tattooed, as you see, and a bodybuilder and a stand-up comedian and all-around great theologian. But she has this line from one of her books, every time we draw a line between us and others, Jesus is always on the other side of that line. Whenever we put up a barrier between who is in and who is out, Jesus will end up on the other side. And this is why we need prophets. Because we are prone to dividing the world into us and them. While in God's kingdom there is no us or them. There's us. All of us. And so the kingdom of God is a challenge. The gospel of Jesus is a challenge. It asks us to open ourselves to what God is doing, which is creation-wide. It asks us to accept that God's kingdom is for all people. And that the people that we don't think have earned it, or the people who aren't like us, who don't act the wrong way, right way, or who don't speak the right way, or who don't look like us, those people are children of God also. And so the easiest part of God's kingdom for us is that it is about compassion, love, and mercy. And the hard part for us, as it has been for a lot of people, is about who that promise is for. And so this week I ask, are you ready to accept the challenge? Not erase it, not make it disappear, not ignore it. Are you ready to accept that challenge? in your lives, when you watch TV or read posts on Facebook or walking down the street or in coffee shops, can you accept the challenge? Because God's kingdom, God's love, which is intended for all of creation, is just that. It is a challenge. Don't erase it, but accept the challenge. Amen.